This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufal and Stephen Mareska. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufal, joined by Steve Mareska and a guest star today, Brian Kelly, uh, Cybersecurity Program Director of Educause. Brian, did Longtime friend, it's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me in the studio. And I've been called a lot of things, but uh, guest star, <laughs> yeah, uh, a guest star, a guest star, a guest speaker, just guest. I think is is fine. I actually, I like that you call this a studio. That that in and of itself makes it feel very pretty impressive. Just very impressive production quality yeah, here. There yeah. we go. Um, so I think I want to start right. So we're going to talk today about the uh, federal student aid requirements to comply with NIST eight hundred one seventy one. Uh, right. It, really, what does all this mean to our higher ed community? Um, I think you know a date that jumps out is December 9th of of twenty one. Uh, I'd say that's the most recent date relative to this topic, Steve. Maybe you can you sort of bounce back what the, the way back machine seven years ago. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, so, uh, higher ed in general has been expected to fulfill their uh, Title V accreditation to receive federal funds. Uh, to comply with NIST 8171 since 2015. Uh, your colleague letter from the FSA was released to, you know, encourage self-assessment relative to the standard. Now, the goal ultimately is to safeguard uh, uh, controlled unclassified information, which really means in, in practice here, data coming from the Department of Ed to help produce student loans, to help facilitate student loans. Um, Fast forward to 2020, another letter came out, basically clarifying, making it more obvious that no, truly, we do expect this. If you've not made any sort of progress toward that self-assessment goal, it's it's time to start. Um, the December 9th, 21 reference is a, an amendment to the rulemaking of safeguards rule for uh, the Gremlich-Bliley Act. Now, ultimately, that means that there are new and changing expectations of financial institutions, which for these purposes, higher ed actually is, you know, that they're in that category. What that means in practice is that those organizations that have not performed self-assessments, that have not made improvements relative to the standards, are frankly behind the eight ball. And the FSA has changed their tone. They are now beginning to actually make requests for institutions to attest to their compliance and demonstrate what progress they've made over time. Right. I think that that history of the letter, right, the dear colleague letter from 2015, I think part of that is where those letters went. Right. They were sent to financial aid administrators in our colleges and our in, in universities that might not have made it over to the information security <laughs> office. Right. Or that person that is responsible for protect, protecting that CUI, that um, controlled unclassified information. And for the last seven years, we've been trying to bridge those gaps. And you may, you, you all may see this when you go out and, and meet with with customers and clients. Is that sometimes those folks that are responsible for protecting that CUI don't know who their chief information security officer is. They don't know, and we're still having those conversations. In fact, just this week with the Federal Student Aid Administration, trying to help bridge those those audiences, right? So making sure that the self assessments are happening, but folks know what's going on, right? What are we trying to protect? Is really really important. Right. And I would say that the, the right participants are still in many institutions, not in the same room together. It's a key issue and they can make attestations if they want, but they may not reflect reality. Well, and, and this has evolved, right? So in, in 2015, I think there's a, there's a pretty significant outcry by higher ed 
And I think there is some hope that you know FSA might retract some of these or or at least at least pull back on what some of the requirements are. And they did somewhat, right? I think people felt a little bit like they could they could hold until some more maybe more generalized rulings came out. And then 2020 came and they realized, all right, like all right, five years passed and here we are again. You know, now now only one year has passed. So I think we're starting to see a we're starting to see this now really set in. Yeah, I'd say there still remains ambiguity. You know, the, the campus security framework that the FSA promised never really got developed because of pandemic interrupting everything. And, um, yeah. you know, the regulatory landscape is changing. Yeah. And I think ambiguity, you know, we, we talk about discretion, right? So as you look at it, at, at some of my notes, right, it, it, the, how this is interpreted is a matter of discretion for that covered entity, which is the college and university. And it's based on, the, you know, the size and the complexity. So you know from your experience that different institutions are going to handle that differently, right? It's not a one size fits all. So FSA and Department of Education sort of take a, well, you have to figure this out, right? And they give some basic principles, some highlights around what their guidance for those those implementations are. But there's a lot of latitude there. And and I think in a positive way, in some respects, the most recent rulemaking lowers the barrier to some degree. No longer is there an explicit requirement for a chief information security officer, for example. Right. That was a big uh, ask for many organizations of smaller scale. Right. And I mean, that's, you know, the three of the bullets that I have is, right, the institution has appointed a person or a team to coordinate its information security program. To your point, it has conducted a relevant risk assessment. And then the most probably important part is it has developed information security controls based on those identified risks. And I think what we're also hearing, I think that first bullet around the 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 person or the team, we've always sort of thought about it as either or. It's either someone in the financial aid area or someone in IT or, or information security on campus. And I think having uh, someone that straddles both of that, right, that has sort of maybe responsibility for that CUI in the financial aid office, but maybe reports and a dotted line to the chief information security officer or something along those lines will help bridge those conversations that aren't always happening. Right. And, you know, e even making that more attainable for some organizations, the, the qualified individual language at the moment now opens the door for third parties to actually fulfill that role. Right. As long as the program is developed and overseen by an entity that is sufficiently qualified, the, the basic requirement has been met. But I'd, I'd like to return to the assessment aspect of it. I think that there has been a good faith effort made by many institutions of higher ed to perform a self-assessment. That takes many forms. Some of them have been truly self-assessments, um, not necessarily performed by people who have innate familiarity with the standards. And that, that's a, that means it's a tall order in many cases. And, and that's one of the things that Educause has. We have an information security program assessment toolkit. And Jason, I think you're familiar with it yeah. over the years. You know, it hasn't evolved much, but it is used by many of our members, but again, without someone else looking at it, right? Validating your answers, helping you with those discovered uh, deficiencies. It's just what it is. It's a, just a self-assessment and you need to take it to that next level. That's where having someone with the experience more broadly can help and having expertise in those areas certainly, certainly help. One of, one of the major uh, pieces of input that I'd say here is that the financial auditors that are explicitly evaluating GLBA requirements are making clear now 
that self-assessments need to include risk analyses, actual impact analysis. And that's been the, the piece missed by many organizations because you, know, you may have uh, controlled unclassified information efficiently defended. And if you can make that assertion by performing a risk analysis, you've met the obligation. It, it, it really helps to go through that thought process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your experience in seeing that and sort of reacting to the letters, reacting to the auditors and helping your customers through that really then helps the next, the, the next person in line, right? And that's what we keep, how do we share lessons learned in higher ed? How do we, and that's what Educause is working with from an FSA perspective is trying to say at the end of those dear colleague letters, at the end of those engagements, those audits, what can you bring back to us that can be anonymized or shared in a way that every institution can benefit from it and learn, not just sort of how uh, the impact was to those institutions you were currently at, but you know, more broadly, what can we do so that we can raise all ships, right? So to that end, on that point, what are the common issues that you've seen in your interactions with, with many schools? You know, I think we talked a little bit about it. It's really that sort of communication between the financial aid administration, you know, administration of financial aid on campus, the Department of Education and FSA, and then IT and IT security on the campus, right? It's sort of that three-legged stool. There's not always that good interaction, right? So understanding to your point, who's doing the work, who's mitigating, following up, those are the conversations that we're hearing from members, right? Is like, how do we, that ambiguity that you mentioned in sort of the rule leads to different interpretations of that, right? So one of the things that we formed at Educause is there's a NIST 800-171 community group. It's got a couple hundred members in it. They're meeting monthly um, just to try to bring people together to have those conversations and share ideas. And that originally came out of uh, another, you know, the CMMC right. uh, craziness that was going on and how it was going to impact uh, our large R1s. But at the heart of CMMC is 800-171. So you peel that back and, and really the advice for everyone has been, don't wait. Get right. started in going through an 800-171 assessment, looking at what those risks are, how to mitigate and address those risks. And you know, we talked about December 9th, 2021, and hey, we have a year. Well, it's the first week of June in 2022, and we have like six months. So if institutions haven't started, right back to those pain points, Steve, around what are folks, now they're worried, right? Because now what's going to happen is everyone going to start receiving these letters and, and what's, what's that going to look like? Yeah. And, that, and really, that actually, it's interesting because our guidance with clients is, you know, start now. It's going to take some time. Right? I, I mean, I, I think, frankly, institutions can expect the assessment process itself to probably take a couple of months, but then everything that falls out and falls into that, you know, POAM or you know, plan of action milestones you know, it's going to take a couple of years and you're going to want to budget for it and, and, you know, advocate for uh, the money you need to, to make these improvements. Yeah, and I think that's, it, it is, it's a ongoing process. It's it not a one and done, right? It, it's something that has to be baked into your process, your annual budgeting cycle, in your review cycle, your audit. So that's, I mean, that's great advice right in there. It's one, don't wait, but two, don't think you're just going to be done uh, once you've gone through it. Right. But, I, but you know, we keep using the word ambiguity. I mean, in w one place that I don't feel like there is any ambiguity is the requirement to go through that assessment and understand where your gaps are, right? So you know, as much as there might be some interpretation about how you address some of these in that control space or what the outcomes look like, the reality is 800-171 for CMMC, 800-171 for FSA, you're at least working with that same standard, which is great. And 
you do need to do an assessment institutionally. And there's also no ambiguity relative to, you know, applicability dates for new GLBA rulemaking. The December 9th, 2022 deadline is, is when it's expected to apply, right? right? That doesn't mean realistically that an organization not compliant will be immediately contacted, right? It's in the next audit cycle. The, the, the time when it actually surfaces will be the next fall, realistically, after fiscal closes and financial audits occur. There's a timeline here, and it, it just needs to really be emphasized that beginning somewhere is the most important step because the FSA knows, just, just like the, the DOD from the perspective of CMMC, there are very few organizations that are legitimately compliant with NIST under 800-171. Right. Beginning and making forward movement is fundamentally the most important yeah. aspect yeah, of all Demonstrable this. progress, right? I mean, you, you, you definitely can't, you can't ignore it right. and expect any leniency later. And I, on that point, you know, the FSA's communications do reflect that reality. They're not asking for perfection. They're asking for demonstration of corrective actions from the last assessment having been um, documented, having been resolved, and having been tracked. That, that's all that they're truly asking for today. Right. And a lot of that, to your point, it's not a tech, it's not always a technical spend. It's documentation, it's people, it's process, it's making sure that's baked into the organizational process. Um, and I think, as you said, you know, the audit cycle, we know that we're aware of that. Um, I think, you know, worried a little bit about sort of the safeguards rule and the FTC's reporting uh, rule changes that might then start the process. Yeah. F as you've reported an incident, then you're going to have a different view. Your FSA, FSA is going to have a different view and you're going to go through a different process right. after you've reported an incident. Right. So right. back to that sort of incident ready or working through sort of that risk assessment, impact assessment of, um, as you're going through these, if we were to have a reportable incident, what does that look like? It's you know always a good time to use that as a tabletop exercise or practice that uh, before that reporting requirement kicks in. I want to bring this back to the central point. It's about data. And few organizations, even of higher maturity, can assert that they truly know where their data originates, where it ends up, and how it flows. This is a learning exercise and, frankly, beginning to understand where the data actually resides the protections that are appropriate for it and you know downstream uses of it really helps to frame every other part of the conversation right. and I, and I, my mind went there jason when you said that, that this is this is a, a a process a long process right in in my time as a as a ciso at an institution we started down that journey of trying to figure out that data life cycle we ended up talking to like 27 different other different right. areas and in sort of you start to cycle through that, right? You know, in your own experience where, well, who did you get that data from? What business unit did you get that data from? And who do you share it with? And each of that is an iterative cycle to that process, but you have to go through it. Because if you don't, to your point, know the entirety of that data's life cycle, then there's gaps, right? And that's what gets you in trouble. And, and furthermore, making an assertion that, you know, you're compliant with the control may, may not be reasonably possible if the data is unknown, right? So starting there, that's the first step for, for anyone that feels like they're behind. Yeah, and I think, you know, Brian, you used a term early on, right? One of the definitions described the, the team approach, uh, you know, a combination of your security office, uh, you know, folks in, you know, admissions, financial aid, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's a real opportunity here uh, to work across the institution, understand the business, and really, you know, sort of demonstrate that 
this information security role is a, a, a you know a, a business value. And I think yeah, I, I I probably come back or you know come out of this from having been a CISO you know maybe ten years ago for higher ed, and it was very much a tactical position, right? It was you have firewalls, you have some of these controls in place. Now you are a member of moving an institution forward, right? You have a critical role in moving an institution forward. And I think that's how this needs to be viewed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what we've seen is that cultural shift since you and I were practicing, right? It was sometimes security was adding friction to the conversation. 100%. Right? And culturally, that's changing from the office of, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and David Sherry at Princeton, I think, is the first person I heard use this, right? You know, so the office of KNOW, we want you to know how to do this you know, securely. We want you to know what the right way to do it. And I think that is the enabler that we've seen, you know, information security become over through the pandemic, certainly, and over the last couple of years. And I think for folks listening to this, right, if you're a CISO, this is an opportunity for you to go over and talk to your director of financial aid, have a conversation about this and how, uh, to Stephen's point, doing this correctly can allow you to continue to offer aid and loans and and help your enrollment, help student retention, help recruiting, all the things that some institutions might be struggling with, right? So instead of feeling like information security is going to get in the way or make the, this harder, there's an opportunity, to your point, an opportunity there. And if you're listening to this and you're a financial aid administrator, go over and have a conversation right. with your CISO, right? And really bringing those folks together. And your institutional research representatives, right. because they are the folks who report, track progress, and make those particular metrics actually move forward. And frankly, they're intimate with the data. They're great to talk to for this right. as well. Great yeah. catch, great call out. Right. But, that, but that evolution in security, I mean, it really is apparent nowadays where you can't be a security practitioner and have no, be a, maybe a dominant piece of your vocabulary, right? I mean, every once in a while, maybe you want to say it, but for the most part, it is all about shades of gray. It's, it's, it's enabling the business and it's enabling it in a way that's more secure than it was before. And we've had good conversations with federal student aid. There's new leadership there. Their, their, their culture is changing as ours is as well. And I think there is genuine intent to try to help, to Stephen's point, protect controlled and classified information, to protect student information. And, and they're, I think they're trying to make a good faith effort to help us help our institutions um, protect that data, uh, not just sort of be the, the auditor to come in and ding you for, for not doing it, but help you get to doing it right so they don't have to ding you. So, you know, Brian, you have the the enviable position of having perspective across, let's say, institutions of all sizes, right? Uh, you know, R ones. I think we do a lot of work in the, say, smaller liberal arts colleges, uh, typically, where they probably didn't have any obligation for eight hundred one seventy one relative to CMMC before. Right. Uh, would you say there's much of a difference in capability to comply with the FF, with these FSA rules for institutions that are more familiar? historically from this 871 perspective? It, it depends, right? That's the, the lawyer answer, right? It depends on the size and complexity of the institutions. Um, you know, I think coming from a smaller institution when I was in a CISO role, I always thought the larger, more well-resourced institutions had everything they needed. They had it going on. And they don't always. Um, so, you know, the size or the prestige of the institution isn't always um, an indicator that they're more mature. Sometimes they're more complex, right? So that goes back to your systems might be much easier to comply with 800-171 because you are a smaller liberal arts college. You have, you actually know who the people are. They might right. sit in the same building as you. So, you know, there's, there's pluses and minuses to both sides of that. But I think, um, 
you know, having started it um, and gone through it as, as a practitioner, it's, it's manageable. But I always felt like you do need a third party to come in and help you close gaps, to help uh, with facilitate conversations. And, and certainly, we don't know and see everything when we're sitting myopically at our desk in an institution as the chief information security officer. We don't necessarily know what's happening at those other right. institutions, right? So my broad view now is to help try to connect and collect those dots. And certainly you, you all do in your role with the different clients that you support, you can bridge best practices and share, you know, ideas. And that's really what Edge's cause is trying to do is uh, take institutions that are more mature, more further along in the 800-171 journey and help that be actionable to the, the smaller schools. And that's, I think what we see in those 800-171 community group meetings is a lot of, there's a lot of folks that attend that they want to listen and learn. Right. And then there's some that are, are going to dominate those calls and they're going to share what they've done. Um, and that's where we see a lot of the, the progress being made in that type of, um, and that's something you know from higher ed is that it's a very open sharing and we're all trying to help each other, which is, which is really, I think, going to help move this, move this compliance needle forward. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I know about higher ed is they're not always the fastest moving entities. So, you know, hearkening back to my previous comment, it, Start soon, uh, because because frankly, it, it they are going to be conversations that happen across the institution. There are other priorities that compete with this. Uh, you know, the sooner you begin, uh, the more likely you are to ultimately complete it. And in, in, in higher ed, doesn't you know they don't they don't rush to get these things done typically. And I'd like to reframe that a little bit. Even um, starting in a consistent way to respond to some of these issues, frankly, reduces friction, increases efficiency because the the audit is yearly from a financial standpoint. It's not, it, it doesn't change, right? And it's always a substantial amount of effort. Anything that enables easy reporting and easy attestation is going to make that less painful for all participants. Right. When you're revisiting each year and simply updating those things that maybe have changed, right? Exactly. So right. M- more formality in some areas will simply reduce effort in others and is, is my expectation. Right. And in the long view, and to, and to your point, getting started, right? We keep coming back to getting started, doing it, taking some steps forward. And that at this point in time, we, we don't have the obligation. Our members will not be able to say they were unaware that this was coming, right? Your, right. your customers can't, and, and that's not a defensible position with FSA to say, well, we didn't know. That's why we didn't do anything, right? And I think, Stephen, you said this earlier, even if you're not completed, right? Showing progress, showing that you've started it will help you in those conversations with auditors and regulators versus just saying, well, we didn't do anything. That's right. I mean, so I, I always look, I always try to feel like where's the right spot, where's the right spot to wrap up. And it really feels that this piece of the conversation where we're saying get started because saying you didn't know isn't defensible. You're already halfway through the year at this point. Uh, you know, it's certainly not too late to meet the upcoming December deadline, but at the same time, summer's here. So, you know, everybody, everybody has plans over the summer. You probably aren't getting started in earnest at this point until maybe September. Uh, especially if you want guidance from third parties, you know, they'll start to, you know, they'll start to get more calls most likely. Um, the, the, the standard's not incredibly complicated, but I'd say the questions do require some interpretation, right? So getting some third party advice is definitely helpful. Um, start now. There's no doubt about it. Yep. Don't don't wait and uh, don't hesitate to reach out to partners, third party partners, to Educause, to your other institutional members. You, you know, folks know each other in this community, um, and it really is uh, 
a great community. Yeah. It, it, and honestly, you know, having come from higher ed and now actually having the, having the opportunity to support a lot of them, I do miss that ongoing collaborative aspect, right? There's a, there's real value in that. I think you know, everybody's willing to come together. So you know, reach out to your, your peer institutions as well, for sure. Um, so uh, on that note, Brian, I, I truly appreciate you making the trek down to come in person, which is great. Yeah, it's good to get out. Uh, and hopefully have you on here in the not too distant future. And, and of course, if anybody has any questions uh, relative to you know, 800-171 or, or any of the compliance requirements around this, you know, this FSA stuff that we're talking about, you know, we're happy to talk more. Uh, we can have Brian on again, of course. Uh, we can do uh, sort of smaller discussions, happy to engage in whatever way makes uh, sort of facilitates a better understanding. And I'll share all the Educause links and things that you can post in the, the show notes so folks can go out and find those as well. Super. Brian, thank you. Stay vigilant. Stay resilient. This has been Cybersound.